Let us ask the Lord to bless our time studying his word. O God and our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are continuing our study on the Ten Words, or Ten Commandments as they're commonly known. I, I want to remind us again why we've taken the time to, to study this. It's not just arbitrarily or we just simply said, okay, we haven't done this in a while, so let's talk about it. But as we consider the time of the church season that we're in right now, which is the church or common season, in other words, from Advent, the anticipation of Christ coming, Christmas, Christ having come, and then the rest of the, the life of Christ all the way through um, his resurrection, uh, ascension, and Pentecost, where the Spirit comes down on the church, and that's the beginning of the church calendar for the people of God, for the church itself. And in that, we remember what Jesus said to his people um, as he ascended into heaven to take his place at the right hand of God the Father. He told us to go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then also, he told us, teaching these folks that we have uh, baptized, to observe all that he has commanded. And so, in keeping with that, that is why we are stopping and, and not following the lectionary and saying, okay, as the people of God, do we understand the commands of God? Do we know what they are? I know that as I have studied, I've gotten more clarity, and I pray that the Lord helps you as well in this. So again, why, do we, why, why am I emphasizing calling the Ten Commandments the Ten Words? It is because in Exodus chapter 20, where God first speaks these words, it says, and God spoke these words. It doesn't say, and God commanded. These are the words of the living triune God speaking to his people, which includes you and I today. Now, these are not just commands, but these words include imperatives, declarations, warnings, and promises. But it is not just a God who is afar off. No, this is the personal God, because here God speaks to his people, and it says that eight times Yahweh that is the personal name of God, is saying these things. As a matter of fact, it even goes beyond that. And five times he says, Yahweh, your God, as he speaks these words to us. So this is not generalities. This is not for some other people at another time. But this is for all of God's people throughout all of eternity. In the first word, we came to realize that we are not to bring any God before the face of of the living triune God. The second word prohibits us from making for ourselves idols. When we make our own idols, we are attempting to displace Jesus as our only mediator to God. Last week in our study of the third word, we recognized that all Christians carry the name of our God through baptism in every area of our life. After all, when you are baptized, whether it's a child or an adult, we baptize you in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. We are baptizing you, and from that point forward, you are carrying the name of God. We learned 
that we must not carry the Lord's name in such a way that it causes others to blaspheme God. That's a really big and heavy weight when we recognize how many times we've done this. We simply need to repent, not just to God Almighty, certainly starts there, but to those to whom we have encouraged to blaspheme God by our words, our anger, our impatience. Today we come to the fourth word, and there's a significant change in the approach of this word. God shifts from the negative, you shall not, found in the first three, to positive actions. Now, it's positive actions, actually both four, four, and five. These positive actions are remember the Sabbath in the fourth word, and honor your father and mother in the fifth word. And of course, we know this, that the remaining five words are going to switch back to the negative. And this theme of you shall not. But I think it's important that we recognize that sandwiched in the middle of God's words, his commands, his directives for life, he switches from negatives to positives. Positives mean this is the thing that I am telling you to go do. What are these positive actions? Well, in the first one, it is to remember the Sabbath and consecrate it. That's two specific actions. And just for point of reference, which we'll talk about next week, is this, that we are to honor our father and mother, which it's interesting to note there that he didn't say, you shall not dishonor your father and mother, right? Which would be, okay, what do I need to do to not bring dishonor to them. Instead, he says, honor your father and mother, which is a proactive stance to that. It isn't, well, I can just modify myself so I don't bring shame to them, although Scripture does talk about that to a certain degree, but there's a proactive nature to that honoring of our father and mother. It's interesting when we consider this contrast of the negative and the positive that after you take all the negative laws, you remove idolatry, hypocrisy, violence, infidelity, and all the other things that are included in that, what is left? It is a positive vision for God's people, including Israel. And what is that? It is Sabbath and intergenerational respect. This is the vision of life for God's people. You know, when we study Sabbath in the Scriptures, we come to realize that it is understood as foundational to the covenant of God. Exodus 31.16 tells us this, Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. So it says right there, this is a perpetual covenant and should be throughout generations. It's interesting. What are the two positives? Right? That we are to, to remember the Sabbath, to consecrate it, and honor your father and mother. That's generational. Those two are clearly connected. The Sabbath command becomes the center of life. Now, I'm going to tread here carefully because sometimes, and we'll talk about this further, people can say, well, that's old covenant, we're in the new covenant, how does this all work? 
But I think in large part it's because we focus a lot of times of our understanding on the Sabbath to the conflict that has gone on that you see between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders of Israel. And because of that context, we approach the Sabbath with a misunderstanding. But again, the Sabbath command or word from God becomes the center of life. It impacts all that they do. This is the people of Israel, and I believe to a degree it should impact us. But for them, it, it speaks in days. It helps them measure and consider days. It helps them consider measurements of weeks and also measurements of years. Leviticus 23.16 says, Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to Yahweh. So we here we have an, an a explanation of counting days, and you're measuring it from the Sabbath, which we know is they were counting days in terms of, of 50 days, but also how do you measure the Sabbath? Well, it's the last day of the week, right? So it's a measurement there. In Leviticus 23:39, it says also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of Yahweh for seven days. And on the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest. And on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. So we see that they are again, here we're looking at there's measurements in months, there's measurements in days, there's measurements in weeks, and all this is going on. But you know, God doesn't just bring this Sabbath rest to his people in this measurement, but he also brings this to greater things beyond simply the people. In Leviticus 25, verse 3, it says this, Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to Yahweh. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So here God extends the Sabbath rest to the land. You know, I think it's really interesting here when you, when you read the rest of that, you can come to the recognition in the following verse that part of this is that, that they are not to go out there and prune the fields, do these things, not measure it, but they are to eat the produce that is produced that year. That's how they're going to eat <coughs> Excuse me, and survive. Now, this is really interesting because I think when we think about it a little bit further later, we're going to be talking about what it means for us as Christians to cease from work. Part of it is when you say, think about this, we're really detached from this because we're not really an agricultural society by any means. Okay? And so if you go to most of the world, a lot of the second world and certainly the third world, their focus is on how do I get food, water, and shelter for today, and how do I maintain that? How do I prepare for the times when there's no food in season? And here God is saying, not only are you going to measure things in days and weeks, and here we see years, but when you say, I'm going to cease from working to be productive with this land and produce, that's my food for next year. That's my food. How am I going to eat later? If they follow this, they have got to say that I trust God to bring me the food that I need. And by the way, again, this passage later says it'll be for you and everyone in your household and even the stranger and sojourner. 
It'll be for everyone. So coming into Sabbath rest, there is a clear implication of trusting in God, our provider. In Leviticus 25, verse 8, it goes on beyond just these small measurements of years and says this, And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And at the time of seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty through all the land and all its inhabitants. So there's a greater implication here as far as the Sabbath goes that every 50 years, when you finish up that 49th year, okay, there's going to be this great year of Jubilee. We're going to sound on the Day of Atonement the trumpets. And, of course, the Day of Atonement is where the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkles blood onto the mercy seat for the sins of all of the people. And he does this annually. But at this time, it's going to cause great jubilee because sins are forgiven. And more than that, God restores mercy and grace and promises to all the people. All debts are forgiven. If you've been enslaved, you're set free. If you have taken the land of your inheritance and because of duress and difficulty, you have sold it to someone else on this day, the promises of your inheritance of God reverts back to your family. God brings great restoration and liberty in the Sabbath, both every week, in months and weeks, in years, and in the 50-year measurement. So I would say to you, people of God, we need to think about all of these things as we look at today's text in Exodus chapter 20, Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, before we get into it too far, I want to make a couple of observations that's important for us. First of all, when we see who shall not do work, there are seven categories. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, or the stranger who is within your gates pretty extensive now if you're paying attention there's got a one place or one person that seems obviously missing from this category right you're going to say where's the wife so i guess on the seventh day on the sabbath day the wife should be working hard to take care of everyone else i don't think that's the case here i think it's clearly understood both here and in deuteronomy and you'll understand why in a moment that that this you is God is looking at the husband and wife as one flesh, one person in this case. But why in this passage does he, does he focus on seven? Okay, and that is this. 
he's focusing on seven because he makes the distinction back to creation order, right? He says, for in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. So you see these seven categories of people that God extends it to. It is um, pointing back to the creation order. The fourth word has four commands or directives. It says this, one, you're to consecrate it. That's the first command. The second command is that there is work implied. The third command is about ceasing. And the fourth command is granting rest to others in your household. So let's talk about the implications of work. When God creates the world and places Adam in the garden, he along with Eve were created for work. They are to be fruitful, to multiply, and to take dominion in this work. The work certainly does become harder because of Adam's sin and the curse given to Adam. We see in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, it says this, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Sin, having entered the world, did not mean that our original created purpose for worship and work changed. God created us to worship and commune with Him in the sanctuary of the Garden of Eden. Now, He did all this so that we would be in the garden, and if we had been obedient, if Adam had been obedient, over time, Adam and his children would learn, and in the time of maturity, go into the land and take dominion and be fruitful in people and produce, so that they could then take dominion and conquer and subdue the land and the whole world. The fourth word implies that we should be working. That is being fruitful in what God has given us to do. It is not simply, though, about punching a clock. Sometimes we can look at this as, well, this is all about my vocation, whatever that may be. It can also be the things of culture. We could be fruitful in developing skills in music, in winemaking, in creating beautiful things with woodworking, in doing art, in building great architectural structures or teaching. Those are all things of culture that we can do, that we can flourish and be fruitful, and we should be doing those things besides just earning a living. If God so pro- provides you talent, and time, it is great to take and develop these things up, and we can be very fruitful with them. These works of developing culture, though, on the, on the Sabbath day, we should consider that these things should perhaps cease as well. Now, I want us to keep the culture-building ideas in mind. We're going to return to that a little bit later. We see that God sits enthroned on the Sabbath. The rationale given in Exodus 20 for this command goes back to creational issues. It says this in Exodus 20, verse 11, For 
in six days. And I want to say this word for here could be better understood as indeed. Think about this. Indeed, in six days, Yahweh made. That is, fashioned and accomplished the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested. Now this word rest here certainly does mean rest as we understand it, but it goes a little farther and it is to settle down, to remain. This, on the seventh day, next it says, therefore, again I would say a clearer way to think about this, on this basis, because of this, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now this word blessed in the scripture means to kneel. By implication, it's an act of adoration. God himself sat in adoration and in and kingship over the cosmos. And in order to do this, he then said and set up boundaries of holiness. And you see this all through the scripture. Every time that God sets up and declares something holy, he sets up boundaries around it. God created the cosmos and all that is in it, including Adam and Eve, and he ceased his work to sit enthroned over it. By this basis or for this reason, God blesses the seventh day, and that is an act of adoration or enthronement to himself. It follows that he consecrated and made the Sabbath holy by boundaries of actions. First, God limited his actions, and by directive, God limits our actions. We are called to memorialize and to keep the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This word remember is memorial but it isn't just a memorial like we go out there and we have memorial day and we remember other things and we remember this type of memorial remember when we first see this word it shows up where god says he puts the rainbow in the sky to noah and he makes a perpetual memorial and he says that memorial that rainbow is for me to remember that i have promised so this memorial is a sign, it's God's covenant sign, to remind God, our Father, to keep His covenant promises to His people. This sign is for us, ceasing work before His presence. What's the purpose of ceasing work? To be in His presence. It isn't just the, okay, I've got this rule, I've got to stop doing things, and, and therefore if I just stop, I've met the degree of what God is asking of me. No, He's saying, cease the work before his presence the sabbath is given for worship leviticus 23 3 says six days shall work be done but the seventh day is a sabbath of solemn rest a holy convocation what is convocation that is a calling together of the sacred assembly so it is clear that the sabbath is about coming together and worshiping god now, again, a lot of people will turn and look and say, Now, listen, I, I think that's all old covenant stuff. It has no relevance for the church today. But the writer of the epistle of Hebrews in verse, chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, 
not forsaking of the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I'm saying, bear with me, we're going to walk this through a little bit farther as far as it has to do with it being for worship and carrying over to where we are today. If we, I had started this by reading the Holy Convocation being in Leviticus 23.3, and I only read the first half of the verse. Because if you look at the second half of verse 3, it says, You shall do no work on it, that is the Sabbath. It is the Sabbath of Yahweh in all of your dwellings. Right? They were actually commanded not to stoke up the fires in their dwellings where they lived on the Sabbath day. Why? Because on the Sabbath day, they were pausing from doing work and ceasing. Because when you go into a house, it's, you build it, you, you put the structure together. And what they would do when you come in and you're ready to move in, you come in and you start the fire and then the house is then occupied. And he says, don't stoke your fire. You can have the coals you have there before, but you're not going to build it up greatly. Conversely, what happens on the Sabbath day at the tabernacle or at the temple, there, the fires are doubled up because there are both sacrifices in the morning and in the evening in a greater way on the Sabbath day than any other day. So we limit our fire at our homes. We don't put it out, but we don't stoke it to greatness. And we go to the house of God where we stoke up the fires of God through worship. We should cease from the activity of work. When we interrupt the cycle of work, we reject the idol of mammon. Instead, we stand in God's presence, acknowledging that he is overall and that he provides. We demonstrate this further by bringing his tithes and offerings in worship and give tribute to God our provider. Let me explain this in contrast, right? Those who don't know God, those who are unbelieving, they're out there working, and they say, well, I don't have anything that prohibits me from working all the time. I can work seven days a week. And they think they're trying to do everything in their own strength, by their own ability. And if they're smart, maybe they surround themselves with a few other good people, but they enslave them to that same mentality that I just have to do whatever I have to do to be successful, to gain uh, money, and to gain all that I need. And I'm just going to keep going at it. As Christians, what we do is we interrupt that. And we say, no, we're going to cease and honor and worship God. We're going to cease that effort to pursue those things. And we're going to trust God that He is going to be the one that's going to bring the blessing. It's almost looking at that, that blessing of the land, the Sabbath to the land, where they rested it a whole year. And that's real trust. That's real confidence that God's going to provide for us. That's what we do here. And then God calls us even beyond that when we come in and we pay his tithes and our offerings to him. And we say, we're, we're trusting God to make us so productive in those six days, Right? We trust him and believe him. And on top of that, we're going to bring that which is owed to him and that which we wish to bless others with by giving our, his tithes and our offerings. We're going to give those on top 
of trusting him. It is a different way of thinking. By the way, I think anyone here who's ever worked for any length of time, day after day after day, recognizes that your productivity goes down. I was talking to someone in the church not long ago who runs a team uh, in, in uh, building things, and they, they were saying, you know, company came and said, you know, we, we need to just keep working because we've got to get this done. And he's like, you know, if we push everybody, and he, he, he cooperated for the first week, and they said, look, look at my guys. They can't give any more, right? They're, they're breaking down. Now, that's just the practical side of it, right? But it's more than that for us. But when we're pursuing other things, other means outside of trust and faith in God, this is what the Sabbath brings us to. It causes us to pause, to center our life on worship, to center our life on God and trusting Him in all things. The fourth point I want us to think about today is this. We get rest, so we give rest. Deuteronomy chapter 5, which of course we started in Exodus 20. Deuteronomy 5 uh, begins Moses' sermon on the laws of God found in Exodus 20. It says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as Yahweh your God commanded you. Now I want to pause there and say that this word observe here is a little different. This word shifts from memorialing to, to reminding God and ourselves to something a little bit different. This word observe means to keep watch over, to protect, even so much as to save a life. It specifically lends itself or leans itself into saving a life. So think about this. If we're to protect and watch and to, to save a life, that's the purpose of the Sabbath day, to keep it holy as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor, and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor the stranger who is within your gates. And then God does something differently here through his word, through the words of Moses, and says this, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. The giving of rest to others is clear here. Now this is interesting because it is outward facing. You know, when we get rest, we're taking it in. We're blessing ourselves. And there's obviously in the first case of it, where God is speaking to the people of Israel, there were implications about giving rest to others. But here, Moses is saying through the words of God, hey, listen, it's more than just... Um, accommodating them, we are to give rest so that others can be blessed. Now this is truly missional Christian work. We are bringing the gift of God's grace, rest, and peace to others. Now the truth is that this can be a severe challenge to our selfish desires. You know, we are to be like Christ and sacrificially provide rest to others. Now, as a father of eight, who spent a lot of years working really hard six days a week, uh, there are times where it was a real challenge for me 
to be able to do the things that my kids needed because I was so tired. Man, I look for, for that Sunday afternoon rest. If I didn't get it, I was going to be messed up, right? It's important for us to recognize that we are called to sacrificially bless others and give rest on the Lord's day. We're to give rest to all of those in our care. Now, he even includes work animals. And, and this is interesting. I just think it helps us press it out a little bit farther. Okay, now, I don't know any of us here in this room that, uh, you know, are hooking up oxen or have horses to, to pull ourselves to do work. But... It's interesting here because there's a contrast. We see in Luke 14 when Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. He says this, he, that's Jesus, answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Now this is interesting because Jesus is trying to, or not trying, he's healing someone. And he, but he questions them first, is this a lawful thing to do? And they don't want to answer, and they want to reject Jesus healing someone. And he says, how foolish of you, how terrible of you, because even you, if you have an ox or a donkey that falls into a pit, you're not going to leave them there. Now, this is not an exemption to the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, in all of Jesus' actions on the Sabbath day, he's not giving exemptions to the Sabbath, but rather returning the Sabbath to its original intent. The Sabbath is not meant to be burdensome or a heavy weight. Think about this. An ox or a donkey who has fallen to a pit is going to be struggling to get out. They are not coming to rest. God's not giving an exemption here. He's clarifying. Now, certainly there's been a corruption of the Sabbath. The Pharisees were concerned. No, they were bothered. More than that, they were upset at all kinds of things that Jesus and his disciples did on the Sabbath day. They were upset and bothered because the disciples took grain and rubbed it between their hands to eat it. Or worse yet, that Jesus was healing withered hands. He healed Spirits of infirmity, dropsy, lameness, blindness. By the way, all of those conditions that Jesus, that you see Jesus healing are all conditions that prevented people from coming into the sanctuary of God and therefore finding rest. Jesus asks in Luke 6 to the Pharisees, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Listen here, to save a life or to destroy? Here's that focus on saving a life. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus said to, to the Pharisees, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Man was not created so that the Sabbath would be so many rules and extra things all over them that they couldn't handle it. That it would be so much work that they had to keep these long lists, memorize all these things, make sure they didn't take too many steps in a day, added all these extra things. That's not what the Sabbath was for. The Sabbath was not to be a burden with terrifying results due to the people not following all the man-made extra rules. 
By the way, that's what pagan gods do. Pagan gods, you know, those religions that come out there and they say, okay, by the way, we're polytheists, so we have all these gods, and every god has a different set of rules, and we got all these different things, and we lay out, and if you don't do everything just right, that god is against you, right? That's not what God is doing here at all. It's completely different. What does Jesus say in Matthew 11? He says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus brings true rest. Now in this, we need to remember that the Sabbath is for worship for bringing the fruits of our labors to God, thereby trusting in Him, resting, healing, liberty, recreation, and festivities. And if you don't don't believe me on the festivities part, just reflect on the fact of what He says at the Feast of Tabernacles. If if, if you're going to travel in for that feast, you're going to bring your family and everybody with you, He says, if you can't carry all the stuff that you would need to to carry to um, the temple, both for you to use and um, for you to give to to the Lord, you you can exchange it for money. You can go to Jerusalem. You can then spend the money, the stuff that you give to the Lord, you give to the Lord. And all the other money that you have, I want you to take it and buy whatever you want to eat or drink, including, and in that it talks about wine and beer. It talks about other kinds of things that it is saying we are to have festivities with. And he says, you know, build the tabernacles, build those booths, have a good time. And this isn't a little party. This party is for a whole week. A whole week. And then you're camping out and everybody's getting together and all the people of Israel come out there. What a party. There are festivities in the Sabbath. As Christians, we do live in the age of perpetual Sabbath because of the work of Christ bringing us peace. We come to celebrate our Sabbath on the Lord's Day. Now, you ask yourself, well, why why do we switch from Saturday to, to Sunday? What's the history of that? And why do most of modern churches... Why do we, and I would say largely throughout church history, why, why did there become a shift to the Lord's Day being on the eighth day? Well, what happened on the eighth day? That's the day that Christ was resurrected. He is the first fruits of the new creation. And so as we stand in the forgiveness of, the, of our sins by the work of Jesus Christ, we hold our Sabbath on the first day of the week, commemorating the work of Christ and remembering that that first day of the week there, that is the first day in the new creation for the redemption, not only of people, but of all things. So we need to consider, if we're worshiping God, that's great. That's the first place where to start. But here's the question. Are we granting to others rest healing, liberty from sin, recreation, or festivities? Are we given, here's here's the contrast of this, are we given over to anger, strife, stress, and strain to those 
whom we can and should grant rest. People of God, Sunday should be the highlight of our entire week. This rest, liberty, recreation, and festivities, I think a lot of that really makes sense to us. We're, we're, we're really good at fellowship and inviting people over, having a good time, right? That stuff kind of naturally comes to us. We're well-practiced. One of the things I would say, I would like us to clarify healing a little bit, right? Healing could be serving others who are shut in or cut off or even serving those in need of relief as part of our Sabbath day. I want to be clear about something. Outside of Lord's Day worship, God has graciously given us wide liberty in which to practice the rest of the Sabbath. And I don't mean rest as in outside of the day, but resting in the Sabbath. A good way to think about it, perhaps, is this. Don't recreate or have festivities so much that you're tired out. And do not rest so much that you miss church. Again, I think some might object and say, well, that's all Old Covenant. Colossians 2, yeah, we can go there. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths which are the shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Yes, let's not jump on judgment of everyone, but we should rest, we should give rest, we should heal, we should bless others on the Sabbath day, and we should worship. You know, it's interesting, if you continue on in Colossians 2, this passage goes on to emphasize that we're not to neglect Christ and the body of believers. They kind of, you know, they just take that one verse that works for them and say, okay, I don't need to go to church, right? I don't need to rest because, you know, that's, that's all old stuff. But they forget to read on and see where it talks about Christ being the head and his body that is nourished through Christ in worship. You know, in granting rest, recreation, and feasting, we can now return to those cultural gifts I mentioned earlier. Right. Although all week long we may have been working on the development of these talents, we can now instead give rest and festivities to others with them. You know, you spend all week and you're practicing your piano and then you come to, to the Lord's Day and, and, and the Sabbath and giving rest to others and you play beautiful music for others to enjoy. Perhaps you make wine. And it's the day you bring out the efforts of your winemaking and share it with others. Maybe you like to do woodworking in your shop, and now you can share it with others, or even more so, take a group of of young people in and share the joy of, look at what I've done, let's do this together. We can even consider art and teaching and all kinds of other cultural building things where we've been developing and working on the skill all week, and we make sure that on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, we share these gifts that God has given us, providing rest for others. Final point today is this. We need to remember the humility of grace. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 tells us this. Again, this is a a replacement 
of or replacement. It is the, the sermon of Moses on these subjects. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, And remember that you were a slave. Now I want to pause right there, or a slave in Egypt. You were brought out of bondage. This word remember is the same one in Exodus 20, that it's a memorial. So we could really say this to say, we need to remember and make a memorial before God that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. God in His providence has extended a mighty and complete grace to you and I. We were once in bondage to sin and He has delivered us. We too should take heed from the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 who owed so much that he could not pay and the king had mercy and granted him grace and relief from his debts. But he did not extend the same rest and peace that his God and king had given him. Let us joyfully extend the Sabbath rest to all those around us. Let us pray. Our God and Father who has brought us rest by the work of your Son Jesus, please assist us to remember to cease from our work to worship and honor you. May we take your good and perfect gift of rest and humbly with your grace bestow it upon others. In your son's holy name, Jesus. Amen.